0: Good evening and welcome back tonight, so thankful you've chosen to be with us. We had a good number here this morning, had several visitors, and we're thankful for that. We always love to have visitors, invite them to be back with us whenever we have the opportunity. You know, nobody likes looking for a preacher. The congregations don't generally like having to search for a preacher, and preachers, I can speak... For preachers, they don't like having to try out and do all those kind of things, but you know it, it's such a hassle. Back a number of years ago, I read in uh, I think it was Dear Abby in December of 1992, there was an article in there, and uh, it was from a man who. Was on a committee of some church somewhere. They were looking for a preacher, and he said to Dear Abby, he said, I understand that some time back you published a letter uh, of uh, some person who was uh, uh, involved in the same task that I am. And, and this is the letter that she published after he requested that. It simply said, Gentlemen, understanding your pulpit is vacant, I'd like to apply for the position. I have many qualifications. I've been a preacher with much success and had some success as a writer. Some say I'm a good organizer. I've been a leader in most places I've been. I'm over 50 years of age. I've never preached in one place more than three years. In some places, I've left town after my work caused riots and disturbances. I must admit I have been in jail three or four times, but not because of any real wrongdoing. My health is not too good, though I still get a great deal done. The churches I preach for have all been small, though located in large cities. I've not gotten along well with the relig- religious leaders in towns where I've preached. In fact, some have threatened me and even attacked me physically. I- I'm not too good at keeping records. I've been known to forget whom I baptized. However, if you can use me, I, I'll, uh, I shall do my best for you. Now they got this, and, and and the committee, as it was read by this gentleman, they were just outraged. Why would anybody send a letter like? Who is it that sent us something like that? Who who would be have the gall to send a church like us something like that? And so this fellow on the committee, who had uh, about had his fill of all that was going on, said, "The Apostle Paul." Now think about that for a minute. You don't want even the apostle. These are the qualifications that he brought with him. These are the things that he carried from place to place. These are the things that people saw when they saw the great apostle as he was living and working on the earth. And so as we look at that, it's hard. You you know, sometimes we'll have a little more um, uh, at the expense of preachers tonight. Uh, Somebody finally came up with a good description of who the perfect preacher was. And they published this as well. Preaches exactly 20 minutes and then sits down. He condemns sin, but he never offends anyone's or hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. And every kind of work, from preaching to custodial services, and maybe even driving a church bus, he makes $60 a week. Wears good clothes, buys good books regularly, Gifts $30 a week back to the church, stands ready to contribute to every good thing, every good work that comes along. He's 26 years old, been preaching for 30 years. <laughs> He's tall and short. He is thin and heavy set and handsome. He has one brown eye and one blue eye. His hair is parted in the middle and on both sides. He has a burning desire to work with the teenagers and spends all of his time with the older folks. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all of his time evangelizing the unchurched, and is never out of the office. He also spends much time with his family. You know, that's a pretty good description. Sometimes we think about what people would write. And if you have a hundred people, you basically have a hundred different descriptions, and so when you start putting them all together, it gets sort of humorous, doesn't it? Tonight, as we think about preachers and preaching, I think we need to go back to the book of 1 Corinthians. In chapter number four, where we'll spend our time tonight, the Apostle Paul actually discusses that matter, and we want to talk about it in the time that we have allotted tonight, think about some of the things that the Apostle Paul has to say. you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and let's look together, beginning in verse number 1, we'll go down through verse number 5. Paul says, writes, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. You see... Paul is talking to a group of people who had been judging their preachers. They had had a lot of things that they were talking about in regard to their preachers. We'll talk about, uh, or at least remind ourselves, in regard to some of these things tonight. There's a sense in which all Christians are ministers, all Christians are servants, but it seems that Paul here in this place is primarily discussing himself and Apollos, and Cephas, and those men who had preached unto them Jesus. And so he has some things that he has uh, to say in regard to them. But I want us to understand tonight, even though he's writing in particular in regard to the way that they're looking at him and, and, and the people who are spreading the gospel to these folks in that day, all of this still applies to anyone today who would be preaching or teaching or uh, spreading the gospel in any way. And so we need to look at it. We need to think about it. It's important or God would not have included it in his word and preserved it for us to have to speak about and talk about tonight. And so let's think about some of the things that the Apostle Paul says in these first five verses of chapter number four. As we do that tonight, Paul says that we are to regard God's ministers, God's people, as servants. Let me call your attention back to that passage. Notice what he says, beginning in verse number 1. This is how you should regard us. Now, that had a a problem before, and Paul had already addressed it, had he not? Go back to chapter 1. Think about verses 12 and 13. Of chapter 1. What were the people doing? I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Christ. They had a problem. They were were judging their preachers. They had their own opinions about the preachers, the the ones who had come along and brought them the gospel. It it was so bad that Paul says in chapter 3, addressing that very matter again. He said, uh, "When you say I follow Paul and another I follow Apollos, are you not, English Standard Translation, being merely human?" We talked about that carnal mind as it's talked about in the book of, or in the uh, King James translation last week. Paul says, "Hey, you, you need to you need to be thinking about what you're doing here." Even in chapter three, on down in verse 21, in, in uh, uh, just before he addresses what we're talking about tonight. He said, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. He said, you've got, you've got the wrong idea about the preachers, the apostles. You, you've got the wrong idea about us. And then he says in chapter 4, verse 1, this, this is really how you are to think about us. This is how you are to regard us. Translation in the English Standard Version. Paul's writing to the Corinthian Christians. He's speaking about himself and about Apollos and Peter and whoever. And, and he's telling them that when you, when you see us, when you look at us, when you think about us, you are to reason, you're to reckon, you are to suppose, you're to think about us in this way. Now, let's stop right there and quit thinking about what Paul is about to say and think about what we would normally what if Paul came I asked that question at the end of the sermon last week what if Paul came and preached here next Sunday now I don't want to I'm not talking about you know could he speak to us as as uh, spiritual people rather than carnal people I asked that question last week what if he came and preached here next Sunday I mean if we if we announced the apostle Paul is going to be here and preach how would you react to him now from from a human standpoint uh, you know merely human standpoint knowing what he's done for it i'd love that sermon okay what he preached on i just i just love for him to preach I, i'd love to sit at his feet but if he came would we show him some kind of special honor for being here for, for being the preacher on sunday Would we pay him a little more than, you know, we we would any other preacher? Because, hey, he's the Apostle Paul. That kind of thing. You see, we have concepts of great men. Great men in the church. Was Paul a great man in the Lord's church? You better believe it. Recognized by God. But Paul said, hey folks, and I'm going to put some words in his mouth right here. We're not in it for that. Now, he's going to back me up in his own words here. We're not in it for that. This is the way you're to consider us. When I I come and preach for you, when when I come and do your work, here's the way I want you to think about me. We want you to regard us, number one, as servants. Regard us as servants. That's what he said. Chapter 4, verse number 1. First thing he said about it, regard us as servants. And what does he mean by that? I don't know if you can see that or not too well. Maybe you can see it well enough to get the point. The word that's used here in regard to servants, there, there were different ones in the, in, the Eng, uh, in the Greek language. Paul, as we'll talk about tonight, used two different ones in regard to himself. But this first one that he uses, the one that he uses here, is in relation, it literally referred to an under rower, an under rower. What do we mean by that? Well, it's those servants, those slaves who were down in the belly of the ship in that day, you know, they didn't have gasoline engines or diesel engines or Coal-fired engines, they had slave-fired engines uh, with oars. They were put down there. And they were the ones who were the most menial servants, considered to be the most menial servants. You know, nobody wanted to do that job. Nobody wanted to be down there never to see the sunshine and never to breathe the fresh air. Uh, it wasn't a nice cruise as they were going along the way. They were down there. Powering the ship rowing 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 can you imagine doing that for hours maybe you've been to the gym you got on the rowing machine you got on there and after five minutes you're ready to get up what about doing it for hours hours on end you didn't have a choice whether you rowed or not you had to do it or you were beaten You didn't have um, a 10-minute break. You just did your job. That was not a pleasant thought. That was not a pleasant job. Nobody wanted that one. Paul said, I want you to think about me and we who are apostles, we who are the preachers, Apollos and others. When you see us, you think about us. Not up here on the pedestal, but down in the bottom of the ship, rowing. We're servants. That's how, that's how you need to be thinking about us. Now Paul had previously called himself and others a servant. If you back up to chapter 3 at verse number 5, what then is Apollos? Apollos, what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Different word used here. Not the the one that we just encountered in chapter 4. This one is the word that we sometimes see in relation to others, uh, diakonoi, diakonos. We translate that or transliterate it into the New Testament, deacon, servant. Not all deacons hold what we might call the office or the position in the church, officially called a deacon, but we 're all the servants we 're all deacons in the church in a sense, because we 're all servants. That kind of servant was a a table waiter, if you will it 's regarded in more in that uh, category uh, that 's what literally it meant was a waiter, and they they attended folks they they carried things to the table, took care of people and What Paul is doing here in First Corinthians chapter four is literally continuing his argument that He had started from chapter 3 at verse number 5. Folks, to be a preacher, to be an elder, to be a deacon, to be a Bible class teacher is to be a servant. There's a sense in which all of us, all Christians are servants. But when we think about these people who are in these positions, that's how we're to think about them. You know, really and truly we need to get that into our own minds if we're serving in those capacities. And, and portray that in our life as being a servant of the people. Paul says, when you think about me, I, you know, I have a hard time thinking about the Apostle Paul in that way, in some, some, some ways, you know, because he was such a, an influential leader. He was such a man, you know, that, that, that went about... And it was by His hand, flowing from His pen, that God issued to us much of the New Testament. He indeed does deserve a place of honor in our minds from that. But Paul said when he was alive, I want you to think about me. Not up here on the pedestal, but down here in the ship. Not as the one who's being served, but the one who is doing the serving. That's how you need to consider. That's how you need to regard us. Now, how would that change people? How would that change the mind of the people? You know, if we considered them that way, some probably would overreact and go. You know, treat them like uh, like they are a servant. They become the master. But that's not the point. The point is this: that would change the focus off of man. And put it back on God. Because they, they're just servants of God. They're serving God. The focus, you see, must be on God anyway. What did we say last week when we were talking about the the carnal mind, the worldly mind, the human mind? Again, depending upon which translation you're reading from, what was the cure? Put it back, put your mind back on God. That's what Paul says. He's the one who really and truly is to be honored. He's the one who really and truly is to be praised. He's the one that we're worshiping, not us. And so Paul says, when you think about me, think about a servant. Put the focus back on God. You know, there's an interesting statement that's found in the book of John chapter 12 at verse 21. And I know... Some brothers who have taken it upon themselves to put this, a little tag, in the pulpit when they preach. There were some men who came talking to uh, Jesus' apostles, and this was their statement. Sirs, we would see Jesus. And that's what Paul was wanting people to see. To see the Lord, to see God, not to see Paul or Apollos or Cephas but to see Christ. Think of us as servants. Regard us as servants. But not only that, Paul said there's something else that you need to do, another way that you regard us. Regard us as stewards. For God's ministers are stewards. Now what's a steward? Well, a steward's a house manager, one who takes care of uh, of the goods and the things that are Uh, the belongings of another person. And I don't know of a a better example of this than one that's found in the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 39. In Genesis 39, beginning at verse number 1, the Bible talks about Joseph. Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. Potiphar, an officer in Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So, verse number 4, so Joseph found favor in the sight, his sight, Potiphar's sight, and attended him. And he made him overseer, of his house and put him in charge of all that he had you see joseph became a steward you you take care of everything that he had now how would you like to turn everything you own over to another would you be willing to do that now there's some things that we'll talk about here more in just a moment but that's an interesting thing. But God, you see, has turned things over to us, has He not? Let me just give you a couple of verses. First Peter 4, verse 10. Peter wrote and says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Why? As good stewards of God's varied grace. Particularly of those... Miraculous gifts that had been given in the first century he said use them we don't have them today but we do have various talents we do have various things that god has endowed us with that we use a lot of times on a daily basis but we are to use them because we're stewards of the things that god has given us we're to use them to serve one another Titus chapter 1 at verse number 7 and talking about elders in the Lord's church. For an overseer as God's steward, must be above reproach. He's God's steward. And so we could go on tonight and talk about many different things. But I want us to think about the goods with which Paul had been charged. You see, the goods with which Paul and these other stewards of that day, these other ministers of that day were charged with were, the, were handling the mysteries of God. Handling the mysteries of God. You know, that's what he said there, was it verse number 2 or 3? We're stewards of the mysteries of God. What does that mean? You know, it sounds mysterious, doesn't it? But we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we thought about the mysteries of God, especially back in chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. The same word is used. Not translated in the English standard as mystery, but he says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the world, or before the ages, for our glory. You see, it was the Word of God that he had in mind. Paul was a steward of the Word of God. To get it from God to other people. Uh, That word is used again, and still in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at verse 51, Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. What's the mystery that he shows us there? What are the words of the Lord that had been thought of long before even the creation of the world, or at least one of them? Paul says, I show you a mystery. What is it, Paul? What's the mystery? That mystery that he's talking about here, that hidden wisdom of God is that we shall not all sleep. But we'll all be changed. At the coming of the Lord, we won't all die. There'll still be people alive on the earth when Jesus comes. We won't all sleep, but we will be changed. That physical body will be changed to the spiritual one. God said, I'm turning it over to you. Now remember, Jesus said before he left that he would send his the Holy Spirit that would guide the apostles into all truth. They were to thus transfer that to others who would be able to teach others also, according to what Paul wrote in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2. But that was what Paul was charged to keep. Just like Joseph, the steward in Potiphar's house, Just like he was charged to take care of, I don't know what all was there, the vases, the tables, the lamps. And and not only in his house, if you'll note in the book of Genesis, chapter 39, he turned him over, he basically turned everything he owned out in the field over to him as well, because God was making it prosper through Joseph. Joseph was in charge of all of that. Paul says, you're to regard us, number one, as servants. Number two, as stewards. What are you you in charge of? The Word of God. And faithfully getting that from God to you. That ups the ante a little bit, doesn't it? Paul says, regard us not only as servants, but as stewards. But he wasn't finished when he said, made those statements. He said, I need to tell you some other things. He goes on in verse number 2, and he says that stewards must be faithful. Stewards must be faithful. If you happen to pick up a New American Standard translation, the word trustworthy is used there. There to be faith, trustworthy. If I put everything into a person's hands, I want that person to be trustworthy. Was Joseph trustworthy? You know, we gave him as an example of a steward. Was Joseph trustworthy? Well, let's look and see. Genesis 39, continuing on in verse 5. From the time that he made him overseer of his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. That's the only thing he had to worry about. What am I going to have for supper tonight? Now Joseph was handsome in the form and appearance and after time his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife behold because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house. Has put everything that he has in my charge. He, he's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph considered himself in the eyes of Potiphar to be trustworthy. And Joseph proved himself in temptation to be trustworthy. To be faithful, to handle the property and the belongings and even the wife of his master, if you will, with the utmost care and the utmost respect because he knew who all of these things belonged to. He was trustworthy. God's stewards, according to what Paul wrote, are to be faithful. You know, if you make an investment with somebody, you don't want the, the one that you invested it with to take your money and, you know, take a, take a trip to Hawaii. I'm not sure he'd want to go there right now. He might want to pick some other uh, nice place to go. Unless he's just really in love with lava and all those kinds of things. You wouldn't want him to do that. And so Paul, knowing that of himself, also knew about God. You see, he was concerned, like Joseph was, of being a faithful steward. But Paul was concerned with being a faithful steward of God. Now, if you're looking at your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 again, look at verse 3. You see, Paul was not concerned with what men thought of him. Again, looking at verse number 3 of that that passage, the Bible says, But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Stop right there for a moment. Was Paul concerned with what men thought about him? You remember in the beginning we talked about the little letter, the imitation letter from the Apostle Paul, except, you know, those are qualifications that Paul had that we gleaned from the Bible. Was Paul concerned with what men thought about him with the religious leaders of the cities? So concerned that he would tamper with the Word of God. Change it so that it would make them feel a little better. And they wouldn't be so hard on him. Was Paul concerned with the way people thought about him from that standpoint? No, he wouldn't, he wouldn't alter the Word of God for anyone. Was Paul concerned with what the Corinthians themselves thought of him? You see, Paul said, I don't want you to think more of me than what you really ought to. I want you to think of me as a servant, but I also want you to think of me as a steward of God. But but, but me personally and what I'm doing, that don't count. You, you don't get to make that choice. I'm not your Employee, I'm not your servant, I'm God's. You don't get to make that choice. If Paul had been so concerned with men that he would change what God said to them, don't you think he would have found something else to do long before he got to this point? I mean, after that first beating, hey, he could have looked up something else to do. After being shipwrecked, after being put in prison, after being stoned with big rocks and left for dead. Don't you think if he had been concerned with what men were saying about him, he would have said, hey, it ain't worth it. I don't know if he'd said that or not. He's probably not from the South. Paul says, I'm not concerned with what man says about me. That's not his primary focus. That's not his main concern. So why are we? Why are we so concerned with what people think about us? Now, I'm not saying be tactless, be smug, be ugly. I don't think Paul was like, like that. Paul's heart was in the right place. He was concerned with the people. He wanted them saved. So I'm not saying be ugly and, you know, just do things to, uh, to cause somebody to dislike you. I think there's some people who may just go that route. That's not what we're talking about. Not what Paul's talking about. But he wasn't concerned enough to change his role, his work, what he had been given to do. He wasn't concerned with what men thought. He wasn't concerned with what human courts said. Did you notice that? in the reading. That's not his main concern. Paul not only had that and said that, what Paul himself deemed to be right or wrong within himself is not what made a thing right or wrong. Paul said that. Look at again in that passage, look at verse number 4. Paul says, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not... Thereby acquitted, it's the Lord who judges me. And he said, uh, in fact, I do not even judge myself. Some folks may take that and say, hey, see, Paul said we shouldn't be judging. And they'll look at this other. That's not what Paul's saying at all. Paul's saying, I don't condemn myself. I don't look at myself and, and let myself be the one who makes the decisions. There was a time in the life of Paul when he did that. Remember? He did that very thing. He quit doing it. But he had done that very thing before in his life. In Acts chapter 23, at verse 1, the Bible says, And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Paul had previously been a persecutor, hadn't he? He put people in jail. When they had their trial, he testified against them. And on at least one occasion, when a man was being executed, he cheered the crowd on. And he had a good conscience. In fact, he would say in Acts chapter 26 at verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul said, I was convinced of that. He was convinced, but he still had a good conscience about it. You see, there was a time when he allowed himself To be the sole arbiter and judge of what was right and wrong. Paul says, I don't do that anymore. I'm a servant of God and a steward of the mysteries of God. You see, God's the one who's in charge. The word belonged to God. He was simply the steward, and he wanted to be a faithful steward. And it was by God that his stewardship would be judged according to what he said in verse 2 and also in verse number 5. When Paul stands before the Lord in judgment, everything that Paul did will come forth. And from everything that we know here in this passage and in this book, We understand that the Apostle Paul was a man who pleased the Lord. In fact, he would say later, I fought a good fight, I've kept the faith. Remember those. He looked forward to the crown that had been prepared for him, that would be given him. He had a desire, according to the book of Philippians, to depart and be with Christ, which was far better. I'm convinced the Apostle Paul will spend eternity in heaven. But Paul was looking to that day when he would stand before God in judgment. And God would judge the deeds in his body that he had done in his body. He would judge the words that he had spoken while he was here. Thankfully, he had forgiveness of those days when he was such a persecutor. And he wanted desperately to faithfully serve his master and to be a good steward Because the Word belongs to God. Folks, that is a message that our world needs to hear over and over and over again. Somehow it seems that folks, especially in our day, but it hasn't just been in our day, somehow folks have got the notion the Word belongs to them they can do with it what they want. And they can take what they want of it and use that in their life and disregard what they don't like or don't want. What if Paul had done that in transferring the Word from God to us? What if he, what if he intentionally left some stuff out because he didn't like it? And we stand before God and and God says, well, why didn't you do this? Do what? Well, I told Paul to tell you. Paul, you didn't tell us. And Paul didn't want that on his conscience. And Paul did tell us. What's the difference in us leaving a part out of our life that Paul has given us and these other writers have given us What's the difference in us leaving it out of our life and Paul leaving out and not telling us? You see, the end would be the same. Because the Word belongs to God. The way that we worship. Those words that He gave us in His book. Who do they belong to? God. God. The way that we speak while we're here on this earth. The language that we use. Has God regulated and how we're to talk as Christians? Well, sure. And His Word belonged to Him. How we live, where we go. All of these things that God has given us guidance, given us commands in regard to. We can't just pick and choose because the words belong to God. As we close our lesson tonight, how, how do you view ministers? How, how do you view those who teach the Bible and preach God's Word and do those things? Do you, do you put, a, put them up on a pedestal? I hope not. Do you regard them not on that end of the scale, but on the other end of the scale? Well, they're just a bunch of grouchy old men or grouchy old people that that don't want us to have any fun, don't want us to to enjoy life. Well, if that person is faithfully proclaiming the Word of God, (coughs) you're not against Him. You're against God. We looked at that. Paul said that in the previous chapter. How do you view ministers? But perhaps an even more important question is this one. Are you a good steward of God's Word in your own life? In learning and listening to and living out God's Word in your own life. You see, if Someone were to ask you today what you are. Could you say, well, I'm a servant and a steward of the mysteries of God. Well, not in the same exact way the apostle was. It was revealed to him. We have a copy of it. And we're to, we're to faithfully teach it and to defend the gospel, according to Jude But that starts in our own life. What am I doing with God's Word in my life? If I've never become a Christian, I'm not using God's Word. I'm not a good steward of it. If I have and I'm not living like a Christian, I'm not being a good steward of God's Word. And just as Paul (coughs) was concerned with standing before God, on the day of judgment, being found faithful by Him, isn't that really what we should be concerned about as well? Will I be found faithful? For my part of handling God's Word in my own life. Servants and stewards. That's the title of our lesson tonight. That's how Paul said the Corinthians were to look at him, those others who preached and taught them. And that's even to a great extent how we are to look at preachers today and each other today. Servants and stewards of God. Maybe tonight that there's something in your life that you need to make right, Whatever your need may be, if we can assist you in any way, why not now come as we stand and sing?